Jay Sigurd here, Starting Point Podcast. We're talking science, faith, and a whole lot more. Buckle up, because it's go time. Jay Sigurd here. Thanks for joining me on today's broadcast. We're headed into part 10 of our series on creation versus evolution. I had no idea it was going to be this long. I guess I'm kind of long-winded, but there's just so much to cover. I think it's pretty exciting. Covered a lot of background already. We're going to keep forging forward. But before we do that, as usual, please make sure you subscribe to these podcasts and then also let others know. And if you could leave a five-star review, that's always extremely helpful to us. So what can you expect today? Continuation of talking about these beloved mutations that are alleged to drive Darwinian evolution. And again, more resources on our website on this, especially visuals with the free streaming videos we have. You can find them at thestartingpointproject.com, thestartingpointproject.com. Just click on free streaming videos, and guess what? You'll see free streaming videos, including things on creation and evolution and all that. So we will finally, finally, finally be getting into the head-spinning portion that I've been talking about. I've been not trying to tease this, but it turned out to be a tease because I never got to it in the previous podcast. It will be in this podcast. Really, really cool stuff. The visuals that go along with it are in my talk entitled Evolution, Probable, or Problematic. So again, if you go to the startingpointproject.com, click on free streaming videos, and look for evolution, probable, or problematic. That's where you will see visuals that will go along with what I will be sharing in this podcast. So what we always do, quickly define evolution, not just talking about change. We're talking about dead chemicals becoming alive and then turning into every other life form on this planet, molecules to man. Evolution and the idea that natural selection has been working on random mutations that produces the Darwinian evolution. So the two major components, natural selection and random mutations. We covered natural selection a long time ago. We've been working through random mutations, and we still have to get to the non-random mutations, which we won't be getting to in this episode, but I'll cover that at at some point. It's pretty interesting. We're going to continue talking about the mutations, And in case you haven't heard any of the previous broadcasts when we're talking about mutations, if you picture the DNA, the coiled up ladder, and the rungs on the ladder called nucleotides, that's where the information is, the the series sequence of these rungs. Uh, Mutations would be like deletions, where you just randomly delete something, or a duplication, you take what's already there and you make another one, or a substitution, you take what's there, move it out, put a different thing in its place, those are called point mutations, and we've been talking about those as far as that's what's supposed to drive evolution, those random changes occurring over time, and they admit that mutations are the only source for genetic variation, and without the mutations, you, you just can't have Darwinian evolution. And they admit that these mutations are generally deleterious or bad, but then they'll try to say, but they're only slightly bad, which we covered that previously. That's actually a problem. makes it worse that they're only slightly bad. Uh, The really, really bad ones, those just kill the creature and it doesn't reproduce 
and it doesn't pass on whatever mutations it has. It's, it's done. It took itself out of the running. That's never an issue. The issue are the ones that experience these slightly bad changes, but it doesn't take them out of the game. So they pass that on to their offspring, and now their offspring has a bunch of mutations that are slightly bad, and then they add some more, and it just keeps accumulating over time, causing one Russian scientist, Kondrashov, to ask, why have we not died 100 times over? We keep accumulating these errors. Last time I also talked about something called Haldane's Dilemma, the waiting time problem. Can evolution through these mutations really produce all the changes that would be required to go from one creature to another? We looked at human evolution from an ape-like creature to modern humans over a six alleged six million year period. And the conclusion was that you can give evolution, as, as they're teaching it, you can give them 3,000 times more time than they want or need. They, they're asking for 6 million in a sense. They say human evolution took about 6 million years. So that's the time frame they throw out there. We'll not only give them 6 million years, we'll give them 3,000 times that amount of time, which is 18.5 billion with a B. We'll give them 18.5 billion years. And these mutations are only capable of generating 0.00025% of what they need to go from an ape-like creature in one branch into a chimp and the other branches end up with humans. Not going to happen, not even close to the astronomical amounts of information needed for Darwinian evolution. So I could share a lot of other things, but I'm not going to drag it out anymore. Let's jump into what's going to lead us into the head spinning stuff. Really cool. We're still talking about DNA here and the design in DNA. This is um, unbelievably amazing and that is not, not an overstatement. At some point, I'll do a podcast specifically on the concept of intelligent design. Uh, most of you are probably familiar with this phrase. You've heard it before. There's always a wide variety of responses to it. And I'll cover that in more detail when we get specifically to the, the topic of intelligent design. What I will be sharing in today's podcast certainly fits in with that topic, but I'm not delving into it uh, as a whole. I'll cover that in a lot more depth later. But um, I don't want to go into too much detail at this point because it'll, it'll slow me down to get to the head spinning stuff, which is really cool. But it is an obvious fact of life that not only are certain things designed, but we have a pretty good feel when we see something, you know, whether or not it was designed or if it just kind of happened by undirected forces of nature, you know, random actions of others, whether it be people or animals or whatever, you make these judgments every day. It's just, you don't even think about it. Sometimes you'd, it might take you a while to, to describe how is it that you know something was designed versus it wasn't. It, take you a little bit, but you'd be able to explain yourself. But you do it all the time without even realizing that you're doing it. You know, for example, if you take a look at your laptop and then you look outside and you see a, a few leaves laying in the backyard, no one could convince you that your laptop developed by natural, unintelligent, undirected processes with no intentionality, no purpose in mind. It just happened over time. Seriously, nobody could convince you that that's how you got your laptop. You know 
scientists, engineers, programmers designed the thing. It was manufactured and then you bought it. And so you just know that. You don't even think about it. You just get it out. You use it. You put it away. You know, it's an, it's a no brainer. It was designed. No question. Now look at the leaves in your backyard. Let's say there's just five of them laying in the yard at various positions. Is the reason that those leaves are where they are because some intelligent being placed them there? Yeah, possibly. I mean, yeah, that could happen. But more likely, they fell off a tree and landed on the ground and maybe they moved around a little bit by the wind. You could explain that by natural forces happening. No direction, no intentionality, no purpose. It's just the leaves are there. You know that. It's, it's a no-brainer, so straightforward. Again, we make these judgments every day. Um, some things are clearly the product of purposeful intelligence, and other things can so easily be explained by undirected forces. Again, not sharing anything that's all that earth-shattering, but I want you to really have that clearly etched into your mind right now. You do it, I do it. Design, not design. We do that all the time. Occasionally, I am asked to speak to younger kids, even grade schoolers. I've even spoken to kindergartners. Don't do it that often, but um, I, I enjoy doing it. But when I do, I have to stop and say, well, wait a minute. How can I get through to these kids? Because I can't talk to them about nucleotides and amino acids. And <laughs> I got to keep it simpler. So I'll just like start from scratch. And I think, what would they relate to? What would make sense to them? So one thing I came up with years ago in my PowerPoint, I showed them a picture of the woods. And then I showed a picture of a hammer laying on the floor in the woods. And then I asked them, if you were walking through the woods with your friends and then you saw this thing laying there, would you think that probably what happened was long time ago, a branch broke off a tree and that branch slowly rotted into this wooden handle of the hammer. And then some minerals from a nearby rock kind of leaked out over time and formed the metal head on the end of the branch. And that's how that hammer got there. Now, they're usually giggling and laughing a little bit. No, they wouldn't think that. They know somebody made the hammer and either that person or someone else, someone else likely someone else, took it into the woods and they left it there, either on accident or by pur you know, purpose, whatever. They know somebody made the hammer. Now, there aren't too many things simpler than a hammer, seriously, but you could see design in it. That doesn't just happen on its own. So they, they totally get that. There's no question. Then I show the same woods with a cell phone laying on the ground. I see if you were walking further and then you saw this thing laying there, would you think, Probably what happened was some minerals leaked out from a nearby rock and somehow plastics formed and this and that, and then eventually this cell phone developed in the woods by natural processes over time. And they, Again, they're laughing like, well, no, somebody designed and manufactured the phone and someone else probably left it in the woods, probably by accident. They probably wouldn't do that on purpose. But again, they could see design. Okay. Well, if something as simple as the hammer had to have a designer. It was designed. We don't question that. Then you look at the cell phone, which is so much more complex than the hammer. 
And you say, well, of course, if, if we're agreeing the hammer was designed, it's a no-brainer. you got to say the cell phone was designed. Okay, I get that logical progression. That makes perfect sense. Let's step up the game a bit. DNA. DNA absolutely blows away any cell phone we have or ever will have. It is unbelievably complex. It is so cool. If the hammer, as simple as it is, and again, you can't get much simpler than that. If if that's a no-brainer, yeah, somebody made the hammer and somebody obviously made the cell phone. Why? Why are we complacent to say, well, the DNA, that can just happen. You know, nature does that over time. You know, particles banging together. No. I think you only conclude that if that's what you want to conclude, that you don't want there to be a designer. It probably doesn't bother you that someone designed and made the hammer or designed and made the cell phone. But some people don't want themselves to be designed because who owns the hammer? The company that made it until they sell it. <laughs> and the cell phone, the company that made it until they sell it. Who, who owns the DNA? I would say the manufacturer. <laughs> and a lot of people don't want that. They don't want to be owned. They don't want there to be rules above them that they're subservient to. They just don't like that. It has nothing to do with the evidence. So they convince themselves that can just happen now, over time. That's just kind of what happens. Uh, I, I don't think that's being logically or scientifically credible at that point. That's a philosophical decision, which is fine. You're welcome to decide that, but you're not not being consistent with logic or real life at this point. So with these kids, I, I do a number of analogies to pound the point home. Not that they don't already get it, but I show them a beach. I said, what if you were walking down the beach and then you came upon this? And then I show like three small shells laying on the beach, just wherever. I said, do you think that someone picked up some shells and they laid them down right here? Or is it possible that the waves coming in kind of washed these shells and that's where they landed? And they all agree, well, yeah, the, the waves easily could have brought them in and just put them there. Okay. Then the next slide, same beach, same shells, but there's a few more shells now. I said, what do you think here? Do you think these shells just washed up on the beach or did someone have to place them there? And for what they see, they're like, no, there's more shells there, but it doesn't look special. Yeah, the waves could bring them up. Then I show another one. And the next one, you still can't tell what it is, but it's different. There's something different about it where you start to wonder, like, that's an odd formation for the shells to be in if the water, the waves are just bringing them in. So I ask them, what about this? Do you think the waves could have brought them up? And they're like, maybe, possibly. It, someone could have certainly put them there, but I suppose there's a chance that waves could have pushed them that way. And I say, yeah, I agree. There's a chance, maybe not a big chance, but it could happen. Then I show them the last slide where there's a lot more shells added to what was already there, and it spells out the name William. And then I say, what about this? Do you think the waves just brought the shells in there and it ended up spelling out in really large letters, William? And then they're laughing like, no, someone laid him there. It might have been a guy named William or some woman dating William. Who, who knows? It, but it's obvious someone put those there. The wave is, waves aren't going to do that ever, no matter how long you wait. In fact, if it starts spelling part of the name William before the rest fills in, the initial letters will, will be washed away. It's not going to happen. Again, it's clear to them. And what's interesting about that progression is when I started with just a few shells on the beach, it was very easy to say the waves could wash them up. No question. 
totally comfortable with that. When you got to the last slide, totally uncomfortable with saying the word William. Just It just happened by accident with the waves bringing him in. It was kind of a no-brainer, very, very clear, the opposite conclusion. What's interesting, as you walk through that progression, you get to a point where you start to say, okay, something's going on here. Well, where is that line? And what was it that made you know there's a line? Like what's happening that you're starting to change your thinking? Well, we can apply that logic to living things around us. Some things you're like, no big deal. That could just happen on its own. And other things just scream incredible design. Where's the line in between? Where would you start saying, okay, now you're getting far enough along where, yep, okay, you got me. That that doesn't happen by accident. Everyone has to ask themselves, what is that criteria that they're using? And the last thing I, I added recently with some of these younger kids, showed them a sandcastle on the beach. Some of them are pretty cool. But I showed one that wasn't over the top, something that maybe they could make. And I said, let's say... One day you're, you're on the beach and you made this sandcastle. It took you a long time and you're kind of talented. Most of your friends couldn't do this, but you did it. You're pretty proud. And then you walk away for a minute. And then later you turn around and you see a bunch of other kids standing around the sandcastle that you made. And you can hear them talking, but you can't quite make out what they're saying. And you get a little closer. And then you realize they're saying stuff like, well, yeah, what happened was these waves were coming in. And they brought this sand in over here to make this little part of the castle. And then some other sand came over here and made the moat and then the steps going up to the front door. And then some wind came along and made these windows at the top here. And, and they're, they're trying to explain how the sand castle got there just by natural processes, wind and the waves coming in. And you get closer to them and say, what are you guys talking about? I said, well, we're just, we've figured out like how the sand castle got here. And you're like, well, no, I made that. And they start laughing at you. Yeah, right. You made this. This just happens. You know, the waves coming in. You didn't make this thing. Number one, how bad would you feel that someone is attributing your work to just random forces? Like there's, it's not impressive enough that they would say, wow, you're really gifted. Can you teach us how to do this? They have no respect for you whatsoever. And they, they're arrogant enough to say that this can just happen. And they're arrogant that they have figured it out. Now you project that onto the adult world, and that's what's happening. This world we're living in is God's sandcastle, except it's a lot more complex. And think of all the people walking around all over God's sandcastle and his earth saying, no, we got it figured out. There's no intelligence. There's no God. This just happened. Just wind and rain and particles banging together did all this. That makes no sense. And it also is an affront to the Creator who did all this. And he's very loving and very patient. But he also has a plan for what's going to happen towards the end of his creation, which maybe I'll talk about that at some podcast in the future. But i got to keep moving on here so I don't run out of time in this podcast because I made too many promises. So um, these simple analogies, what hit me really strong was they work with adults too. <laughs> and so, so sometimes the parents are in with their kids when I'm talking and the parents are like totally glued, like they get this. I've made it simple enough that this is really hitting home versus becoming overly technical with them. So with that in mind, let's turn to real life example, the DNA inside your own body. If it wasn't there, you wouldn't be alive right now. You wouldn't be listening to this podcast. I wouldn't be doing it. So I'm going to share a few details about detail that you about DNA that you may have never heard before and the ball is going to be in your court. You're on the beach, you're looking at the sandcastle. What are you going to decide? Are you going to conclude 
that your DNA that I will be describing could develop over billions of years simply as a result of undirected forces of nature? Or are you going to conclude that, you know what, it makes a lot more sense that it was actually designed, incredibly well designed by a super intelligence, but the choice is yours. I just ask you to be honest with yourself, which reminds me of a quick semi-interesting side note. I have a really good friend who can be stubborn at times, like we all can be, uh, and it's not an annoying trait. It's kind of funny, and it doesn't bother me, and it's really to his own detriment, which you'll soon understand. So we would go to like a Milwaukee Brewers baseball game, and sometimes we'd go in the fall, maybe October, and it could get cold out during the game, sometimes fairly cold before it's even like halfway over. I'd always bring like a sweatshirt and a light jacket, and as soon as I started getting cold, I'm putting on the sweatshirt and the jacket. I want to be comfortable. Well, my friend would hold out, stating that, oh, he's not cold. And initially, I was pretty impressed that, like, wow, I can't believe he's not cold. He's just sitting there, and he's fine. I, I got my sweatshirt on and jacket, and I'm still maybe not quite as warm as I'd like to be, and, but he's fine sitting there in a T-shirt. Then I realized it was a pride thing. He had decided ahead of time he's not giving in. He can make it through the entire game without putting on his sweatshirt. He brought one, but he's not putting it on. He's going to make it through the whole game. He's not a wimp like me probably wasn't thinking that I was a wimp, but he's just not going to. He's tougher than that. In reality, he was very cold and he wanted me to believe otherwise, but no amount of reasoning was going to get him to admit that he was cold. I knew that he knew he was cold, but he would never admit that to me. Uh, What I knew for myself was true and he knew for himself what was true. Why do I share that? You may hear what I'm about to share and still say that you believe that life is just a product of undirected forces of nature. It's just an accident. There is no God, no designer, no creator. Uh, But you'll have to do so when everyone else knows that the evidence is so clear. And they'll really know how cold you are, in a sense, (laughs) that you're sitting at the game just stubbornly refusing to put sweatshirt on. And it, it will be to your own detriment, I believe. In fact, if what I'm about to share isn't evidence of design, then I'm honestly pleading with you to contact me and give me an example of something that would qualify as evidence of design. Which leads me to another story. Um, I was at an event sharing what I'm about to share with you as a full talk. Afterwards, I'm at my table, and a guy walks up to me, and I said, can I help you? And I said, yeah. He goes, I don't don't see any evidence for creation. He was pretty angry. And I said, oh, well, what, what was that that I just shared for like 45 minutes, you know, about the DNA and nucleotides and mutations? He goes, yeah, but I don't see any scientific evidence. So I said, okay. And I said, I have a question for you. What would you accept as scientific evidence for creation? What would that look like in your mind if you saw A, B, or C? That would definitely qualify. He said, I don't know, but I know there's no evidence. It's like, wait a minute, if by your own admission, you don't even know what the evidence would look like, how do you know it doesn't exist? In fact, if you don't have criteria to judge what counts and what doesn't count, we can't really even have this discussion. And that was the point. He was claiming the evidence didn't exist, but he didn't even know what it would look like. He couldn't even describe what is it he's expecting to see. Honestly, if what you're about to hear doesn't qualify as design, I I don't know what else possibly would. This is just so unbelievably incredible. So um, jumping back in, uh, 
the background, let's get into what in my mind has been one of the most amazing things that I know about the complexity of life. Keep in mind that we teach no intelligence, no undirected forces of nature, uh, no undirected forces did anything. It's just nature. Undirected forces of nature did all this. Particles, particles interacting over time did all of this. Big Bang produces these particles, hydrogen, helium, blah, blah, blah. They bang together. And now we have what you're going to hear about. And as a review, again, evolution is just taking DNA, deleting things, duplicating things, and substituting things. So if you were to ask a six-year-old, what's your favorite book? And then they tell you the name of some book. And then you ask them, if we were to close our eyes, open up your book, stick our finger in there, and whatever letter we touch, we delete it, erase it. And then we close our eyes again, flip open to some other page, stick our finger in there, whatever we touch, we make an extra one of those. So if it's an R, we put another R right next to it. And then we close our eyes again, we open up the book, stick our fingers in there, whatever letter we touch, we just take that one out and put a different letter in there instead. So maybe it was a Y, we're going to put an A in there instead. And we just keep doing that and keep doing it and keep doing it. What will happen to your book? Will it get better and better and better? A six-year-old will say, no, it'll get worse and worse. In fact, pretty soon I won't even be able to read it anymore. A six-year-old understands that. You have to be highly educated to not get this. And I really don't want to be sarcastic or condescending at all. It's just kind of humorous. But that's what I believe happens with a lot of these scientists. They are super smart. I think most of them are much smarter than I am or ever will be. Really smart. Lots of facts in their head. But facts don't do anything for you if you can't interpret them properly. And I don't believe that they really have the ability to interpret them properly because that requires wisdom. And throwing in scripture here, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom. You can have all the facts you want in your head, but they will be useless if you don't have wisdom to interpret them properly and apply them properly. So I think that's what happens in a lot of these cases. It's not that the scientists aren't smart enough. They're plenty smart. They don't need more facts. They need a different starting point to use to interpret those facts. The problem is with their worldview, their starting point, not with their intelligence, not with the facts they have in their head. So here we go. I will get started with this, but I can already tell I can't finish this whole section, but that's okay. I will start in on it, and it'll be a teaser to keep listening to the next episode when we finish this thing. Here is the head-spinning portion. And to me, this makes the concept of Darwinian evolution just flat out impossible. It's because of how the information is written on the DNA. And we're not going to be getting overly technical here. This will be really straightforward examples that you will, quote, see for yourself. You'll hear again if you watch the video, you can see it uh, with the visual examples. But I believe that evolution through natural selection acting on random mutations over time cannot change a single cell into a human being because of how the information is written on the DNA. And here we go. (laughs) When you read a book in English, we read from left to right. So you open up the book, start on the left side, and you start reading over to the right, go down to the next line. 
and you've just got some information. So with that in mind, this is where you're going to have to work with me. Picture this in your mind without the visuals. Picture the phrase, if you want to, you could even write it down short. Was it a rat I saw? Was it a rat I saw? Not a very interesting phrase, but what's interesting about it is you can also read it backwards. It spells out, was it a rat I saw? When you read it backwards, so forwards and backwards, was it a rat I saw? It's called a palindrome. That's something that can be read forwards or backwards. Again, not a very interesting sentence, but it is kind of fun when you look at it. It's like, wow, yeah, I guess wow, you can actually read that backwards. That's kind of fun. And you can maybe think of some on your own. You can look them up on the internet. Kind of fun. This is what we've learned about our DNA. Much of our DNA cannot only be read forwards. It can also be read backwards. So really quick. Evolution, no God, no designer, no creator, is particles banging together in nature over millions of years. So particles banging together in nature have to create an information system that not only can you read it and get really important information from it, you have to be able to read it backwards too. How, how is that going to happen by accident? Now, obviously... If you introduce a mutation to, was it a rat I saw, you're, you're messing up two messages um, because you're going to destroy it both ways. You take one of those letters out or change it, it doesn't spell, was it a rat I saw, either way. It's really only one message, you can read it twice. But guess what? Our DNA is much more complex than that. So let's go to the second example. Picture the word desserts. You read it left to right, it spells desserts. You read it backwards, it spells stressed, which is what I get when I don't get desserts. <laughs> so here we have a message. You can not only read it forwards and backwards, but it's an additional piece of information when you read it backwards. So there's two messages here, desserts and stressed. So thinking about our mutations, because again, you can't just copy this over and over and over and over and over perfectly, because think of it, you took the word desserts and you copied it and you copied it, and you copied it perfectly, millions of years from now, you would have millions of copies of the word desserts. That's all you'd have. But we can't just do that. We've got to turn this into something much, much, much better. So that's where you have to introduce a mutation to make it different, to eventually make it better, right? That's what we've been talking about. Well, let's say you randomly delete the T at the end of desserts. If you randomly delete that, a deletion mutation... It doesn't spell desserts. You destroyed that piece of information. But guess what? You destroyed another piece of information too. Because if you try to read it backwards, it doesn't spell stressed. One random mutation, deleting the T, destroys the forward message and it destroys the backward message. But guess what? We don't see little words in our DNA that you can read forwards and backwards. If we did, that'd be kind of cool. But it's not little words in our DNA. It's up to entire chapters of complex instructions that can be read forwards and backwards. Let me give you an analogy of what this really means. And then I'm going to probably wind down and we'll pick up next time because we're just getting started. We are just getting started. 
but th- this just the forwards and backwards thing is so cool. So what does this really mean so I don't lose anyone? Let's say you got a job working at a cell phone company and it's your training to write the instruction manual to give to the manufacturing plant so they can make the phones. That's what you do. It's your training. Your boss comes to you one day and says, hey, I got a project for you. You say, yeah, what is it? I need you to write the chapter in the manual that explains how the phone can download apps from the web. And you say, yeah, oh, I can do that for you. He says, hey, thanks. He's walking away, and then he turns around and goes, oh, sorry, I I forgot one, just a little minor detail. When you write that chapter that will explain how the phone can download apps from the web, you have to write it in such a way that if we read your chapter backwards, it's going to explain how the phone can play music files. That's when you burst out laughing and say, oh, that's a good one, boss. And he's staring at you like, no, I'm serious. We only have so much room in the manual. Your chapter has to make sense both directions. Okay, guess what? That's humanly impossible. It cannot be done. You can't even program a computer to do that. I mentioned I did programming for 12 years. You can't program a computer to write a chapter of instructions that you could read forwards and backwards. And yet this is what we're seeing in our DNA. We read a segment forwards. And it is a set of very, very complex instructions that code to make certain proteins that carry out certain functions in your body. Now you read that backwards. It is a completely different set of instructions that code to make completely different proteins that carry out a completely different function in your body. Two major points with this. Particles banging together in nature could never, ever create a complex message system that you can read both directions, forwards and backwards. And secondly, even if somehow you had that system, when you go to make random changes to it moving forward, you are not going to be improving that system. You're going to be making it worse and worse because every time you make a change, you're messing up two messages. This is what we're seeing in our DNA. And this is the tip the iceberg. I have to wind down, but that's okay. We got other examples that will are going to be similar to what I just shared of how the information is structured on the DNA showing you that you cannot make random changes to it and make it better and better and better and take cells and turn them into human beings. Not going to happen. So I'm getting fired up. I'm getting worked up here. This is exciting. It's cool stuff. Thanks for hanging in there. Again, I'm not trying to tease you. We will be tackling the other layers of information in our DNA that just scream design, scream a wonderful designer and creator, but fly in the face of the idea of Darwinian evolution. We will see you next time. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Starting Point Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, tell a friend, and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That's the number one way to help us reach more and more people with these important and inspiring messages. To learn more about myself, Jay Siegert, and The Starting Point Project, please visit us at thestartingpointproject.com. We'll catch you next time.